Hello and welcome to Inequality Talks, a podcast from the volunteers of the Economic Inequality Group at Mellenfolklich Sambiga, Aarhus. Each episode, we discuss a different topic or idea related to questions of economics and economic inequality, learning and sharing knowledge about what that thing is and how we can approach it. I'm Adam, and talking today, we have Elise. Hi. Sebastian. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about GDP and well-being, or in other terms, money and happiness. GDP is one of those key terms we hear a lot about, and we hear it used a lot, but we don't get it explained or analyzed very often. So in basic terms, what is GDP? On the most basic level, it stands for gross domestic product, and that's taken to mean a measure, a monetary measure, of all the economic activity that takes place within a given nation's borders. And that's as opposed to GNP, which stands for Gross National Product, which is a measure of all economic activity of the nation's residents. These are two different things. If you've heard GDP used in a discussion or in the news or something like that, it's often used as a kind of fairly objective measure of how a nation and how a nation's residents are doing, what their standard of living is, how things are going. The bigger the GDP and the faster its growth, the better things are going is the the general impression you might get. And there may be some truth in that. It sounds pretty simple. It sounds pretty nice and clear-cut. But it's not. It's slightly more complex. There's some big questions to be asked about how we use GDP and whether it is the best measure of well-being. And it's not nearly as objective as it first seems. Today, we aim to demystify GDP a little bit. We'll dig into what it actually measures, how it's used, what flaws there might be in the way we use it, and what alternatives there might be. From there, we enter into the territory of age-old questions of money and happiness, and broader questions of what society should aim for and how they might measure it, like wealth, happiness, well-being, democracy. All of these things, of course, are central to questions of economic inequality. Before we get going, let's let's introduce ourselves a little more and give just a sentence or two of where we're coming from, what our perspective is. Elise, would you like to start? Hi, um, as Adam said, my name is Elise. Um, I'm relatively new here to MS and to the Economic Equality Group, but I've been really enjoying myself here. And a bit about my background, I just studied my, I just finished studying my, my master's in socio-ecological economics and policy. So we've had a lot of conversations about the shortcomings of GDP. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you all. Cool. And Sebastian? So my name is Sebastian, as you said. Um, I'm from Belgium, originally. Uh, that's where I grew up. And... Um, if I need to say a word about my background, it's like mostly I'm an activist and I've been uh, doing that for the past few years in many different ways. And uh, what's interesting me in this group and studying stuff like GDP is that we were actually just a few days ago making uh, an event to listen to the first podcast we produced. And one of the reflections that came up in the discussion after is that, oh, actually it's not just as easy as implementing one stuff like basic income to solve all problems. And I think that's very much for me the point of this group is to learn to study the complexity of the world in which we live to understand what is behind like the discussion that we g- in generally have. Because grasping this complexity, I believe will allow us to be able to look at actual change that we want and can implement. Thank you. 
And I'm Adam, as I mentioned. Um, my perspective is also slightly academic, more of a history and philosophy and literature background. But I'm, as, as with Sebastian, I'm very interested in the complexities of topics and specifically with GDP, as I said, it's a thing we use all the time, we hear used all the time, but historically it's quite new. Historically our conceptions of what economics is and how economics works are quite new. And when you know these things, it really changes how, how you understand how they frame the way we look at the world. So I gave a little bit of a, an introduction to GDP, but is there anything is there anything we want to add? What is GDP? <laughs> um, I think it's really relevant to discuss the ways GDP is actually measure, measured. So there are three different kinds of ways to measure it. One is the expenditure way of measuring, one is the income way of measuring, and one is the production, which is much less common. But let's just take, yeah, one way of measuring for matters of simplicity. Let's take the expenditure way. So um, the components of GDP are basically the sum of consumption, government spending, investment, and net exports. And just to be a little bit more specific about what those components actually are, um, consumption is the total amount of spending from each household. Investment is uh, what firms spend on things like machinery and rent and stuff. Government purchases includes, yeah, all of the money that governments spend, like on military, for example, um, excluding transfer payments. So that means things like unemployment benefits, things like Social Security. Uh, so that's excluded. Um, and then net exports is what you export minus what you import. And kind of the inherent logic in that is that it's, it, well, it increases GDP to have a larger export then import that's just simple subtraction so like we've got this vague idea of, of gdp as it appears on the news but what is it actually used for well governments use the gdp to well the central banks use the gdp to set their uh, interest policy for example private companies use the gdp to gauge the the uh, investment climate gdp also plays a role in consumer behavior because you know, GDP is so prevalent in media, in the media. So the GDP figure and, and the narrative around the GDP figure affects the consumer's confidence and expectations. Um, politicians often use it also to please their voters. So since there's so much hype about the GDP, like that's something that voters look at and can point to, like if the GDP has increased or decreased during someone's term, so politicians often use it. Um, it's often also used as justification for other policies like tax cuts. So politicians will say, okay, well, we can cut these taxes because it will increase GDP or we can avoid doing this because it will decrease GDP. And a really good example of that is the Kyoto Protocol um, because... There was some report that came out. I can't remember what it was called, and I don't know who wrote it. Um, but there was a report or several reports that came out about the Kyoto Protocol and how, uh, which for those of you who don't know, it was one of the first climate treaties, um, which said that that this treaty would, um, yeah, decrease GDP. And then the U.S. never ratified it. 
So that's one example of how GDP can be used to justify not doing something good and used to justify doing something I would argue is bad, like tax cuts. So, so where does this association between GDP and well-being come from? Why is it that these things are so closely associated? I think you can link that to the growth paradigm and... Okay. Our society has kind of created this narrative about growth and kind of prioritized it on a political level. And it's kind of tied into like, well, one, there's the research that says like GDP is correlated with certain certain things like literacy, for example, or um, uh, mortality or longer life. <laughs> and... Um, and so they're like these underlying assumptions that that's because of GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, we automatically associate um, GDP with better life. Mm-hmm. And then also I think there's some, some of consumer culture too mm. that's involved. Like the, the kind of like this idea that we're kind of fed that we need to buy our happiness. So, I mean, there's also some kind of core ideological stuff going on there and advertising kind of a political narrative. But I, I suppose it's important to note with these correlations, right? There, there are historical periods where these tools were developed. They were useful in a certain sense. There's problems with them, but they were useful. And there was at least correlation with these improvements. It, it was used as a proxy for certain things, like we mentioned. Um, but once you reach a certain stage in recent years, some of those correlations don't hold. Like some of those or things of mortality, yeah. But some of the the things of, of mortality no longer hold in the same way, or or life expectancy, as we might call it, or childhood death rates. That's one of the key things mm. in Wilkinson and and Pickett's research. All these things no longer hold in the last thirty years, which have also seen massively increasing inequality. Yes, and uh, even if we could see correlations of uh, increased uh, lev- level of life, well-being. Uh, standard of living uh, so if even if you can see some correlation uh between gdp and increased standard of living after the second world war there's also a strong correlation between increased standard of living in the western countries or the global north countries and colonization and imperialism and extraction of wealth from the global south mm. so it's uh it's not a clear question that it's just because oh gdp was growing so our life was increasing it's also oh we were stealing from was a part of the world and our mm. standard of living was increasing. Mm. Uh, so we need to remember that also when we talk about this period as like the golden standard mm. of what uh, mm. social democracy could be and everything like that. Um, and just to also say that, and from the start, GDP is needs to be read as something political mm-hmm. in the sense that it's only calculating as valuable, uh, like what are commodities or things that can be bought and sell, sold on the market. And it's very much counting uh, as positive the fact of making profit. Mm. So it's very much serving one specific, I would say, social class, which is as a owners of our And so for me, like even from the start, even if we, if we could correlate it with some uh, increase in out of living, it's always a political reading. So I mean, I mean the very important saying that all scientists love correlation is not causation but also what we're talking in both of your examples what we're talking about here is the power of a narrative a certain kind of narrative that surrounds this and says this is what caused this thing it's very simple you can understand that this number goes up these it produces all of these good things and it's Mm -hmm. not as simple 
because of all the issues of, of what actually happened in those time periods and also what is being measured. Yeah, and this narrative of more market makes a better life for everyone. Yes. It's a very strong in our society since a few centuries now. Mm. <laughs> the, the use at first, like when you talk about like GNP, I know it was during the war, was because there was a war, you needed to produce a lot of guns and uh, tanks and, and planes. And so these tools were de de like designed in order to like follow up and be able to read your production and how is it going and are you producing enough for the war effort. Right. And yeah. after the Second World War, you needed to reconstruct everything. So it was a very good tool in order to be able to see, okay, uh, who is good at reconstructing, at what speed, or do we produce in order to like build back the infrastructure that we need for society. So at that time, it, it, it made some sort of sense, I would say. I think it's important to note for future reference, these are times of crisis when these things became very useful. Times of crisis and destruction and things going wrong. And and I think that's also like like this historical reading is very important because we talk a lot about like oh, we don't have that much growth for the moment or economy are like in a is the slam that you say in English like when a, like like the, the, the rate of growth is boom and bust. No, like like the, the economy is slowing down. The, the growth yes. every year. No, no, that's when it's going down. But like when it's a very small. Uh, growth like it's it's slowing down i think it's slowing probably. like you would say that the economy is slowing down when you compare compare it to like the glorious 30s mm -hmm. after the second world war but actually it's because gdp it just uh, calculates the like the amount of value that is produced every year in um like the augmentation like the added value and of course when you build back uh, a whole society and buildings and institution and you, you're going to have much more growth because mm -hmm. you need to make a much bigger effort to build new things rather than to maintain them. And GDP doesn't take account of what already exists. Yeah, <laughs> but I think we're getting too much into the, the limitations and the shortcomings because yeah. it's so easy to slip into that conversation because <laughs> there are so many. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I'm not in favor of the GDP index at all. But one could argue that it is good for comparing countries' economies. Comparing because parts of countries' economies, perhaps. Yeah, the production of yeah. different economies. Yeah. Oh. And that's all. That's, that's, that was just it. I, I, <laughs> I don't have anything else. Yeah. When we get into the criticisms, which we are going to get into, clearly, um, there is an argument also, you know, we're often speaking from a Western perspective, and in certain countries where things aren't being met where you do need you know basic needs aren't being met where you do need construction where you do need industry it can still in a certain sense be useful you could argue there's also certain other measures that would still be more useful in that context but that we're speaking from a, a very western perspective here so it's important i mean to know that. In, it's an interesting attempt uh it, it, it's problematic in many ways, but mm -hmm. to say that we want to be able to capture the idea of the economic performance of a country in only one number, uh, it's... It's like, utopian, in, yeah, a, in a way. I think it, it, it's it, just not very useful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is that thing. It's, it's, that's the beauty of, of money, in a sense, also GDP, is that you can reduce the value of everything down to one thing. Mm -hmm. And then you can compare it super easily. And that's what money is, because it makes exchange possible. But okay, so let's, we want to go there. Let's get into the flaws. <laughs> the juice. The juice. So, it's like, I, I think it's important to reiterate what Sebastian said and what we've talked about. That these things came often in times of crisis. And one thing I noted that I read in a book, Utopia for Realists, uh, there was an economist who actually pointed out that, yes, the, you know, uh, 
what year was it? The Fukuyama tsunami and Japan was devastated by the tsunami. An economist pointed out that, like, yes, it was very tragic, but there is a silver lining because a, a catastrophe like that is really good for GDP because they need to rebuild everything. Um, so, so that's like it's useful in that sense. But if if like catastrophes are a positive measure in this, you have to take that into account and then think about the stuff that that isn't measured in that. And and, and I think it like to like for me maybe the very first flaw of such a tool as GDP that is so prevalent in our lives and in the way that we think the world so that we even think that the catastrophe can be very good because <laughs> it will make, uh, make mm -hmm. a lot of uh, economic uh, activity is that the way it was made in the first place is not democratic. I mean, it's a bunch of economists that came together with an, uh, with an idea like all the national accounts processes oh it was very too. like technocrats <laughs> and then it was validated or no by the administration in place at that time uh but it's, it's, there was never like a very democratic discussion or like a question of how do we calculate value in our society so, yeah. even with that like kuznets who was one of the key technocratic figures came to be very cautious about his own invention after it kind of took off after him because it was a much more limited mm. limited scope i mean i even wrote a quote by him he writes mm. uh, or he says the welfare of a nation can scarcely be inferred from a measurement of national income. Right. And this is the guy so who actually... From, from the dude yeah. who... Yeah. But that's, that's, um, that, that's the thing, right? So it, it, measures, it measures certain things, but it measures a quantity of, of production, effectively, and certain different kinds of production, but it doesn't measure the quality of an activity. And it might not measure certain things we consider important, or it might measure things that we don't consider important. Again, one of my favorite accounts of it was thinking in terms of a family that like all the stuff we talk about now to be eco-friendly, reusing things, um, you know, preparing your clothes, growing your own food, all of that kind of stuff. That's bad for GDP. Hmm. What's good well, for GDP? Well, it's not included. Well, yeah, yes, no, no, yeah. but it's bad in the sense that it won't increase it. And we, the, the aim is to increase it. What's good is like compulsive gamblers who have incredible medical debt, like, and, and like spend and throw stuff away and buy on Black Friday and throw everything out. That's great for the economy. Mm. And not great, for instance, for the environment or necessarily their mental or physical well-being. Mm. Yeah, or smoking. <laughs> yes, smoking's great. You get you get paid multiple times for smoking because then you like obviously you have the expenditure of the smoker. Then you have their medical medical bills expenses. Sure. If you have it privatized. Yeah. Not to mention that it also doesn't account for any of the harmful practices of um, like of corporate activity that is included in GDP. Just to bring in like a contemporary example i just read this article in the new york times about nike and coca-cola and their efforts to try to weaken a bill that would ban uh, products from being bought from forced labor camps in china that are yeah goods that are produced by the muslim minority in china that's being um, subjected to like numerous human rights violations and and that's just one example of some immoral activity by like uh, multinational corporations. But I mean, like the list goes on and on and on and on. And yeah, their production, like the, the products they produce, like Nike shoes that have been proven to be produced in these forced labor camps, that's part of GDP. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a positive. Yeah, so yeah. It, it doesn't measure. And these aren't things we really want to, to become like, because if, if you included that in GDP... Yeah. If you get put a monetary value on it, 
there would reach a point potentially where you go, okay, it's expensive to use these labor camps because of the added cost of suffering, but it could still be profitable. So it becomes comes into the accounts. The, the obvious way around is to commodify everything, but you really don't want to do that because then things can be neglected or or you can you can put a, a money price on them that you can then pay for. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I think there's a lot of shortcomings in, in, in GDP and we can go a long <laughs> time and we can try to make a, maybe a, like a, a list of them that can be comprehensive because what we want to do here is also to get people uh, that are going to listen to this to be able to have tools to reflect critically when mm. we hear that we need, because GDP is very tied to growth, mm -hmm. you know, and that we need more GDP because uh, that will allow us to have more economic activity, less unemployment. Mm -hmm. mm. Because that that's, uh, I think that's kind of, uh, at least for me, the idea I got from the media is that we need that in order to have like more jobs mm. and people mm. can have better lives. Mm. Mm. And even that is not true. Like, I mean, if you look at the numbers, like in uh, 1975 in France, uh, GDP was uh, 1,000 billion of euro and there was 3.4% of unemployment. And in 2014 in France, GDP was 2,179 billion of euro, so more than two times more. Mm -hmm. um, and there was more than 10% of unemployment. Which means like having more money in the society doesn't solve the problem of unemployment. Mm. Just, just only because of productivity gains. Like we did a lot of stuff like, like computers, smartphone, a lot of automation. Right. And so like even that, that idea that producing more, <laughs> mm. I mean, I'm always talking between Marx, but even Marx was already saying like, we can end up, uh, <laughs> this quote, like we can end up producing uh, too many useful things that would result in producing uh, too many useless people. Like it's okay. like like we 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 produce so much mm. that there's no not even space for people in the economy. Mm. But your statistic kind of brings me to probably the most prominent criticism of GDP, which is that it does not represent inequality at all because it's an aggregate uh, mm. figure. So GDP per capita, that's yeah GDP over the population. Um, that that doesn't say anything about the richest or the poorest just says this is the GDP over the population number. And that's a huge, huge problem because I mean, like inequality is such an important economic welfare indicator, maybe if not the most important and yet yeah, to not include it in, in like the most prominent economic indicator is just stupid, honestly. Yeah. And like it's it's like misinformative. That that's uh, that's also like ties to the work of like Wilkinson and Pickett, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. Like it's like to expand it's uh, two researchers that show that, of course, until a certain point, like it can be correlated. Money and happiness. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, it it shows that until a certain point, maybe they correlate, but over a certain point, they don't correlate anymore. Yeah, exactly. There's um, like there are three reasons why it's why GDP is stupid in this way and in this happiness discussion. One is exactly what you say: this this threshold that there could be this, and there is statistically proven a, a threshold where income stops uh, having a correlation with happiness. Um, and then there's relative income, meaning mm. that you know, like the income of the people around you matters. 
if I'm super poor and Adam is my neighbor and he's like having a Lamborghini and a super nice pool and having like nice barbecues all the time, <laughs> I'm not going to be so happy. And um, at least I'll be less happy than if I were surrounded by people in the same financial situation. And then the third reason is um, that GDP doesn't, and this way of measuring isn't accounting for um, people's ability to adapt. And um, so there might be um, a negative correlation with a decrease associated with a decrease in income, but then that might level off or increase again. So basically, humans are super adaptable. We adapt to our our circumstances and this happiness debate kind of leaves out that um and i think that's the, the key, one of the key things of that wilkinson pickett research is that thing that like inequality itself not just poverty but inequality like relative levels cause all of those health issues health inequalities happiness inequalities like you say like they measure tons of tons of areas um but there was a historical period where yes gdp increased and that generally correlated with increased well-being at least in the West, that's, that's correlated not Correlated too, not caused. Yes. That's an important uh, distinction. Correlation or causation. But that's the thing. In, in certain senses then, also GDP is a proxy for things. Like mm. it, like if, if they don't have infrastructure, we can maybe use GDP to go, okay, as it increases, that generally indicates an increase in infrastructure. Or we could have some measures for infrastructure. Mm. Like it's not the thing itself, it's mm. what it is a proxy for measuring. And in different societies, it's going to be measuring different things based on what we've decided to measure, but also based on what is going on in those societies, what those societies already have and what they don't have. But okay, let's, oh, do you have more that you want to go there, into? I mean, there's just like, there are so many problems that, it, that we could get yeah, into. Yeah, because but we you know, even didn't talk about the environment. And like, we like. didn't talk about <laughs> that at all. Uh, we didn't talk about how, like, things that it doesn't exclude, or that it excludes, like, um, um, like environmental and social externalities like pollution and resource degradation and how it doesn't include assets like um, human capital, natural capital, and I, I don't even like I'm those very, terms, yeah, human capital, natural. I'm talking in pure like yes. uh, like macroeconomic terms. but, but And that's, that makes for a really bad national accounting uh, indicator because, I mean... Yeah, when you're accounting for something, you should account for both the assets and the liabilities. And this just accounts only for the costs, the GDP only. That's just bad accounting, honestly. Mm. And it's not a good, yeah, national accounting measure. Mm. Mm. And, mm. and yeah, and for me, like, it's, it's a point that I, I, I really want to make across, uh, with this, at, at least for myself, is that uh, this kind of economic indicator or social economic, they don't just like passively reflect reality. I mean, they're also part of how we understand it mm -hmm. and the shape of view of it. And mm -hmm. that's why we need to be able to criticize them and to think about how we want to actually uh, define value. How do we want to actually define progress or, or things like that? Like this is like a, a democratic uh, uh, enjeu. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Can't help like you there. This, yeah. is, this is a democratic question, <laughs> yes. and we need to like claim it and take yes. ownership of it. Okay, so it includes things that don't provide us value. It excludes things that do centrally provide us value. It doesn't include things that are hugely detrimental to the environment. It hides their true true cost. It doesn't measure the mm. the quality of the thing, only the quantity of the thing. Mm -hmm. It and doesn't precise. measure. It's imprecise. Mm. It doesn't measure inequalities. Depending on how you measure it, it varies hugely. 
it's mm. also very linked to ideas of growth and of the whole growth idea and that is also hugely problematic in a climate thing and it relates to sort of our political objectives and how it's politically defined yeah these are these are all the areas and so not that we criticize for a very long time are we going to talk about what we can do let's talk about <laughs> some alternatives <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah so where do we go now like we say we want much happier societies yeah so <laughs> uh, so so the key thing we're talking about here is okay gdp has this association with well-being but that well that association isn't isn't necessarily true because of all these things it does and doesn't measure and does and doesn't include um that that aren't the the, the true sort of things that make a good life or that or that are valuable let's broaden that out so what are the alternatives i suppose there's two different questions here we can tackle them in whatever order but like what mm -hmm. alternatives have people proposed mm -hmm. and what more broadly do we think are things that are valuable to measure well in terms of um measurements to either replace or to adjust GDP, there are many different alternatives that researchers have already come up with. Um, well, you can have, like like I said, an adjustment of GDP, which is still kind of economic welfare indicators using things like, um, in addition to consumption, also measures like leisure and um, inequality. Um, just to give you a quick example, France's GDP in 2005 was 67% of the U.S.'s, but in France, people were working 535 hours a year, and in the U.S., 877. So yeah, we can use other measures like that um, to include, and there, there are some, I'm just going to read some names, Index of Sustainable uh, Economic Welfare, Genuine Progress Indicator, uh, sustainable net benefit index. So yeah, these are pragmatic adjustments to GDP. But then you also have um, measures that include only environmental externalities and natural resource de depletion. And there's this one called the Sustainable National Income, or SNI, and it was made for the Netherlands. And they found a um, huge gap between or an ever-increasing gap between GDP and SNI, which would imply that the production over time has become even more and more um, environmentally degrading. Um, and then there's also, on, uh, thirdly, there is um, an indicator to measure wealth instead, because GDP doesn't measure wealth at all, um, which would be the sum of the whole economy's human and natural capital. I know you don't like those terms, neither do I, Adam, but <laughs> for the sake of conversation. Um, and that's called genuine savings, uh, GS. And then the last one, um, which I think a lot of people are familiar with, are these composite social indexes, like the Human Development Index, HGI. Um, also Capabilities Approach, um, Martha Nussbaum and Marcia Sen. Yeah, the critique of that is that they're like they're kind of arbitrary and the things that you choose to measure um, or they're at least, you know, subject to biases and um, especially Western biases. So um, that's something to be aware of. Yeah. And um, like it's it's always useful to have a variety of indicators. Um, and actually today a bunch of countries are, not, are using not only GDP, but other indicators to evaluate um their policies i know that belgium is using uh, like uh, a bundle of i don't know but as you say adam like gdp is still 
such a strong narrative in our societies so that it's it's useful to have other indicators but it's also important to have um, a democratic discussion about this narrative and like we live in this time of corona you know and we hear so much about like we need to get the economy back up but if we use gdp as an indicator for that as like the standard that we're going to use to calculate if we're going well or not all these things that are like uh, care or like the real economy or like the, the uh, or, or do you like essential workers, mm-hmm. that are like the people that work in the supermarkets and uh, like the people that pick up the trash and all these people, they're still not going to be considered as like very valuable mm. and essential to our societies. So we need to have like both these indicators, but also this political discussion about yeah. w- what is it that as a society we value and how do we use this indicator to reflect that Mm. and i think this actually ties to like you mentioned i don't like the term human capital i don't like the term natural capital and that's for me one of my core critiques of gdp as well is that it's this idea that all you have to do is find the right way to quantify something in monetary terms and then it's fine right 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 but but some things are qualitative like once you reach that point you go in, in the coronavirus instance, and you get people that are pretty explicitly saying this, you go, okay, yes, it's sad that people are dying, but their lives are worth a million dollars. And if we let them die and work in the shops, that's okay in an economic sense. And I don't think yeah. you can, I, I think some indicators, you can't just reduce them to those qualitative things and try and reduce to a single number and a single criteria. I, that's kind of the aim of capitalism in a certain sense, but I, I think that's, that's the key, key issue here. And yeah, that's another critique of the GDP that it doesn't um, measure any kind of improvement in quality or technology for one. And there's this example that I read the other day about medicine and how um, like a new medicine to cure, I don't know, what's something that hasn't been cured yet? Let's just say a vaccine. Like, um, and people are buying the the vaccine for Corona um, if it's not, if it's yeah, if they have to buy it. Um, and that would increase GDP um, by maybe a certain margin. But the increase in quality of the life and the lives that would be saved, for example, are, are way higher than this marginal increase in, in GDP, for example. I mean, I think there's... Let's give a concrete example here of, of healthcare in the US. There you go. It's great for the GDP what happens with healthcare in the US because there's a lot more expenditure. It's terrible for a the lot. people. And that's 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 a concrete difference there. There's a concrete conflict between the economic measure and the and the the well-being. If we're talking about well-being, but it, but perhaps we're going to move on to. You said we need a democratic debate around it. Yes. Let's talk about those things. What what what's valuable? Obviously, we're not going to solve mm-hmm. that here. And clearly, there's people working on other measures. But what is it? What is it? Is is it happiness we're looking for, or what is it? Uh, I personally don't believe it's happiness. I mean. My my very personal belief is that whatever it is that we decide that uh, matters, it needs to be uh, a democratic debate. I, I, I don't think it's so much happiness as democratic control. Okay. We need to be able to have um, a debate about what is essential to our life and how do we manage it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the market is not the best tool for that. For other things it is, but not for that. And it, uh, like indicators can, can help us, but before everything i believe in talking together and figuring it out and the key thing like there is that having gdp as this very powerful indicator as this narrative locks you into a certain economic system 
I, I think we can all agree, at least now we can, air being privatized is a bad thing. If we started privatizing air so you had to pay for it, that wouldn't be great. But that's the, the end logic of it. I mean, yeah, people sure. try and privatize water. Um, that is happening. So, so it ties you into a system where the only way to operate your economy is, is, is on the terms of, of that growth logic and on the terms of that expenditure logic, which isn't necessarily the best for people. But I think it's the question of happiness is a very private matter. Um, and I don't think... And happiness means something different to, to, to everybody. And it varies across cultures what happiness is and how to express happiness. And, and I don't think it's the role of governments and national statistics offices to decide what makes us happy. I think that's where I take a capabilities approach approach, um, and say it's it's the job of the government to ensure that we are capable of living our best life. And that means having good health, having good education, having democracy too, mm-hmm. having, having good social infrastructure. Um, these things that can contribute to your happiness if that's what makes you happy you know we don't need to i don't think we need to sit here and and discuss what makes us happy because we all know individually Mm -hmm. what makes us happy yeah so i mean a lot of what we talk about here as well with with gdp is it guides our behavior in a certain way and and says all the, the increases in productivity the increases of things in society they have to be put into this this one goal of in- increasing productivity that doesn't align with 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 what we're doing we want we want in a certain sense what we're talking about here is granting people freedom the freedom to what is it um the, what's the american one the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness fundamentally that's the thing but how do you how do you actualize that and yeah there's a long long tradition thousands of years probably as long as we've existed of like not necessarily happiness i think on some level we do accept utilitarian idea of, of happiness as like in the broadest sense of, of well-being and fulfillment i don't think we should sacrifice ourselves and be miserable for the higher goal of i don't know what we also have to take into consideration things non-human we have to take into account biodiversity as well in any kind of social measure as people try to do we're not going to get to the bottom of like you know what what is the good life i think philosophers have been trying to do that for, for thousands and thousands of years they've come up yeah, with some I'm good hungry. points <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean if you go talk about philosopher like i would say that for like for me then uh, uh, i would go with something like spinoza like that uh, happiness is determined by the social condition that you live in and the world that is around you mm. that's so exactly you, my point yeah, yeah. Th- like the, the way you understand it and in a world that is like all about uh markets and uh and merchandise then happiness is also determined by these factors. Spinoza is not one I have on my list. <laughs> I got Buddhism, Stoicism, Epicureanism. Yeah. I got Aristotle. But, uh, and and for me, it's more like, as you say, it's like having uh, some basic infrastructures and and uh, public services that are of quality and that allows people to live their life in a way that they don't have to stress about uh, their basic needs. I think that's like an important thing that we need to, to calculate. And that's, for me, that's the whole point of this group. It's to be able to critically together analyze the situation we are in. Not take it for granted that it's, it, it has always been like this and that we cannot change anything. Then being able to decide collectively on the society we want. That's what's most important for me. Like happiness is something that Happiness comes is something along. that's <laughs> incidental. Yeah. I mean, that does show up in a lot of... Uh, happiness research actually that like 
as much as there's, there's different ways of measuring it, but, but actively pursuing happiness as the end goal tends not to make people happy. Um, pursuing other goals does. So we're going to have to to bring this to a close. So so where do we where do we wrap this up? Like, what is your conclusion when it comes to measures or how we look at these things? Uh, as much as I can say, I don't I don't think I have like one uh, finite conclusion, other that I I, I need to learn more uh, <laughs> still. Uh, <laughs> but but yes, and that's also the the, the whole interest with this process is that. The more I look, the more I learn about the complexities and the more I, I realize that there is not one simple solution. But one other thing that maybe uh, I, I got to realize doing and talking about this today also um, is that um, we, we look at GDP very critically and we realize all um, the issue with it. Uh, and it's somewhat ironic because we, we tend to be very, it tend to be very easy at least when I read the media, um, to see biases in other tradition and other cultures and not to look at our own. Uh, and when we actually get do the work to analyze this, then we realize that in our own way of thinking and organizing society, it's very biased and there's a lot to critique. <laughs> uh, and I think that's an interesting take from, from, from this session for me. And that makes me even more wanting to actually look at other tradition from other cultures and I think about indigenous cultures uh, and way of organizing the economy and see if I can get inspired by that rather than think that it's just weird and not how it should be because it's not what I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, so just like trying to get inspired by other way of organizing the economy than the one that we have here. Mm. Elise? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I have any nice, like, sexy way to sum anything up. But, um, yeah, I would just say that the more I researched this, the more I looked into it, the more convinced I was that the GDP's got to go. It's, uh, it's just a really useless, um, useless indicator. And um, it really feeds into the growth paradigm this growth imperative and as a supporter of degrowth policies or post-growth policies i am not in favor of that prioritization um because ultimately it's not what's good for society it's not what's good for the planet so um that was super pessimistic so let me think of something positive um i mean you don't have to have a positive <laughs> take on everything well i think it's super cool that a lot of researchers are like on top of this mm. i think they well they actually have been for quite a while now um it's just the the uh public that needs to catch up or like you know the decision makers mm. that mm. need to catch up and take take the uh lobbyists out of there that would benefit a lot of things. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, and I think that's very true. When I and when I see j just because what I was talking about, like the, the amount of intellectual production about the idea of commons, uh, I think there is so much to get inspired from today. Mm. Like that comes from like thinking about alternatives. So mm. yeah, we just need to find the step to bring it <laughs> a bit further. I'm mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one of the things that's more difficult about this topic perhaps than the previous ones is it's hard to like have a concrete like here's a policy proposal we should do this thing or these are some cool because 
clearly people are working on measures, right? The question is is more of that fluffy but really important question of, okay, so why haven't these other measures, why aren't those other measures the ones that are now being adopted? Like there's clearly something mm. and some many processes going on to promote GDP. Mm. Um, yeah, it's about changing a worldview. Yeah. And that's not like something that's done overnight. And I've said it before and yeah. I, I probably say it again, but and that's the importance of like being political, mm-hmm. mm. of like treating it as like something that is political. Mm. Um, because that's what it is and we need to treat it as such and mm. take this question up. And so it's less, it's less a measure of finding n- new, new measures, but more a question of changing narrative and worldview. And I do on some level fundamentally believe that at least part of what we should aim for in a society is, is happiness in the broadest sense of like people being fulfilled and having well-being and stuff. Like I don't think we should aim for a society based on uh, you know, family honor necessarily or that kind of stuff. But uh, we also have to take into consideration all the other non-human things, the well-being of animals, the well-being of plant life, the well-being of the universe. And these are philosophical discussions. And it's that balance also, because one of the uh, things that's so appealing potentially about GDP, as well as that it benefits some powerful people, um, is is that it's simple. It's really easy when you have that one number. You You can only do that so much. Um, and that, yeah, as you say, that's what being to a certain extent being political is. So it's more a question of maybe changing the narrative at the same time that you're changing the the economic and political structure to enable us to spend more time thinking about changing the narrative. So we're going to have to stop it there. Thank you, everyone. Uh, clearly, we learned some some interesting things today. Uh, the research will hopefully be in the podcast notes once we get it up there. Please go and check out Melanfoglia Samviga Orhus on Facebook, Instagram, and on the website if there is one. Come down to the cafe uh, when it's open if there's no coronavirus restrictions on. Uh, and we look forward to next time where I think we'll be talking about the gender pay gap. But we're going to get on to a lot of interesting topics like growth and taxes at some point in the future. <laughs>